Hello everyone, Krista and Hannah here with a brief message before we start the episode. We are on the third season of Keys to Music Learning and we have loved every second. Talking about audiation-based piano instruction is a passion of ours, if you couldn't tell, and we thank you for listening and keeping us going. We recently launched the Keys to Music Learning community. Similar to Patreon, this is a way to support the podcast and access bonuses, such as opportunities to attend podcast recordings and monthly meetings so you can pick our brains with your questions, share your successes, and connect with other teachers. Become a silent partner for only $3 a month or, to access the bonuses, a friend of the podcast for $5 a month. Join today at musiclearningacademy.com slash keys to music learning community. The link will be in our show notes. Thank you all for listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Keys to Music Learning. I'm Hannah Mayo of Hannah Mayo Music. And I'm Krista Yadro of Music Learning Academy. Join us as we discuss common goals and challenges in the piano studio and offer research-based ideas and solutions to guide every one of your students to reach their full musical potential with audiation. In last week's episode, I discussed the pattern CD and book. Today, Hannah will discuss how audiation-based piano instruction approaches reading music notation and she will give an overview of the Reading and Writing Music Notation books 1 through 3, where students learn to read and write all of those patterns they learned from the pattern book. Loaded topic alert, music reading. When I started scripting this episode, I was a little stuck about how to begin, so I decided I'll ask the listeners, and myself, and you, Krista, some questions to reflect on. Here they are. What comes to your mind when I say sight reading or music notation? Probably quite a bit. How do you feel and think about the way you teach students to read music? Do your students learn to read well? Do they play musically with flow and continuity when they are reading? Let's listen to something that Gordon has to say about notation. This is from Learning Sequences in Music, page 38. Quote, It is unwise to teach notation and music theory as a substitute for audiation because learning about music is not the same as learning music. When students do not learn how to audiate, read music notation, and study music theory in correct sequence, They find it difficult to give meaning to music they hear or music notation they are reading. The error becomes evident, for example, in wind instrument performers who cannot tonally audiate what they see in music notation, but nevertheless manipulate keys or valves on instruments as dictated by symbols they see on lines and spaces of the staff. That is similar to copying a text on a computer keyboard designed for a language a typist does not understand. It represents training, not education. End quote. 
Traditionally, in piano lessons, you see quite a bit of music notation, even if it's pre-reading notation like finger number or alphabet pieces. You would likely see notation at the very first piano lesson, and you would probably engage in notation, at least a little bit, at every piano lesson thereafter. Music moves for piano is different. Edwin Gordon tells us, that to read music notation at the early lessons would be taking music reading out of sequence, and that stifles audiation. So Marilyn Lowe created a method that many people mistakenly think is a method that removes notation, but it doesn't remove music notation. It sequences reading and writing according to learning theory. Just like everything else, we have a sequence a procedure to develop reading and writing skills. Remember this pattern vocabulary students have been building? The vocabulary from the pattern CD and book that Krista spoke about last week? Ideally, over some years, using Music Moves books 1, 2, and 3, students chant, perform, and improvise with all of these different categories of rhythm functions. Macrobeat, microbeat, division, division elongation, elongation, rest, tie, and upbeat before beginning to read and write them. Ooh, Hannah, this might be a good place to mention our pattern skills and sequence study group that starts in September because we're going to dive into those patterns of music moves for piano books one, two, and three, just as you mentioned, and also cover the entire skill learning sequence. So hopefully giving teachers the confidence to bring their students through this whole sequence to reading and writing music with understanding while kind of always being able to step back and see the big picture of music learning theory as their students progress through the books. I will say that once I got to the reading and writing books, things started to click and make Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. So this is going to be a great course for some uh, clicking. (laughs) in your brain. Okay, so now we're going to talk a little bit about rhythm. And I'm going to start with another Gordon quote, also from learning sequences in music. This one's from page 74. Quote, many teachers attempt to teach audiation of rhythm through rhythm notation. That is unfortunate because ebb and flow of music defies symbolization. Thus, rhythm notation is necessarily imprecise. In fact, rhythm is best understood through body movement, an alteration of body movement. Notation of rhythm, as it was intended historically, assists musicians in recalling what they have already audiated. It seems curious. Need for rhythm solfege was not recognized until centuries after need for tonal solfege had been met. Furthermore, rhythm and meter in music were originally based on natural vocal meter, the rhythm of the speaking voice. End quote. Think about the very first rhythm pattern instruction LSA you do with students. You echo duple meter, macrobeat, microbeat patterns. Well, we're doing that again, but now the student can see the notation of each pattern in the pattern book. I love this three-step process to prepare for writing patterns. Step one, echo with notation. Step two, take four macrobeats to audiate silently and then read the pattern. Usually by step three, the student is ready to try it on their own. 
So I would do those three steps in one lesson with a neutral syllable, then maybe the next week with the rhythm syllables, then the following week, I would begin page 13 in reading and writing book one, following the assignment instructions at the top of the page for copying duple meter macro micro patterns. You can go at whatever pace works for your students. Quicker moving students might be able to do more of that process in fewer lessons. I especially love adding the translation step to these assignments for review. So before I show the student the pattern to write, I will chant it with a neutral syllable and they will chant it back with the rhythm syllable. And then we will both write it and they can check their answer with mine. At this point, I can do uh, lots of different things. I can A, go on to rewriting the pattern with in rhythmic notation, showing them how to do the first one or two, and then sending them off to do that for homework. Or B, in a pair or group setting, I can send them over to the table in my studio or into a separate breakout room of teaching virtually to rewrite the patterns while I have individual repertoire time with the other student. Or C, I could have the students improvise with those patterns, which they should definitely do at some point before leaving the assignment. So for example, I might say, choose a pattern from those you just wrote and choose a triad or a melodic cadence to improvise with using that particular rhythm pattern. So we've been throwing around words like in rhythmic notation. Um, Maybe this is where we can finally define it. Yes, let's define in rhythmic notation. You've heard it in the last two or three episodes, but what is it? (laughs) Gordon defines this as rhythm patterns that sound the same, but are notated differently. Also, different measure signatures used to notate the same sounding meter. In rhythmic is to rhythm notation and audiation, what in harmonic is to tonal notation and audiation. A quick note, when Gordon says measure signature, he is referring to what is traditionally known as a time signature. This kind of in rhythmic understanding requires abstract thinking, something that happens around age 10 or 11. This is why Gordon and MLT teachers are so adamant about using the early years before age 10 or 11 to develop audiation and build a vocabulary of patterns without stifling or confusing students with a lot of music notation. And I have a lot of students right now in those age ranges, 9, 10, 11 years old, and some of them are mixed. So I might have a 9 and 11-year-old in one group. And it's really interesting that I can write a pattern, maybe using the quarter note as my do and then the half note as my do, and show them and say, This is amazing. It looks different, but it sounds the same. Does that make sense? And most of the time, those younger students will say, oh, not really. And then it clicks at a certain point around that 10, maybe even closer to 11 years old. They'll say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then I know, okay, this is making sense to them. I can do a little bit more now in the reading and writing book. Whereas that younger student, I might say, just going to put it away and we're going to keep working and I'll take it out in a few months and see where they're at. Right. And that's a really good segue into the next topic of conversation. <laughs> Students will be writing patterns in duple meter using the quarter note as the macro beat and the half note as the macro beat. So if the quarter note is the macro beat, that means the quarter note is due. A pair of eighth notes are the micro beats due day and 16th notes are divisions, taws. 
If the half note is the macrobeat due, then a pair of quarter notes of the microbeats due day and eighth notes are divisions. So due day, due, due day, due can look like two eighths quarter, two eighths quarter, or it can look like two quarters half, two quarters half. In triple meter, we write patterns with the dotted quarter note and the dotted half note macrobeat. When the dotted quarter note is due, then three eighth notes is due dotty, the microbeats. And when the dotted half note is due, three quarter notes are the microbeats, due dotty. Are you picturing this? <laughs> if you're having trouble imagining it, go to musicmovesforpiano.com and find the sample pages of the pattern book and you'll see the in rhythmic notation there. And I can put a link to those sample pages on the show notes so that they're easy to find. Thank you, Krista. You're welcome. Now let's move into the tonal aspects of reading and writing. But of course, I'm going to start with another Gordon quote from Learning Sequences in Music. And this one is from page 297. Quote, the longer a teacher waits to teach students to read notation, the symbolic association and composite synthesis levels of skill learning sequence, the more musicianship students develop because doing so allows them to acquire extensive audiation vocabularies of tonal patterns and rhythm patterns. Regardless of how long teaching of reading is postponed, if students are taught how to audiate first, they invariably have desire to learn to read and write notation and will be more successful in doing so. If students cannot read unfamiliar patterns with ease at the generalization level of inference learning, it is probably because they were not appropriately taught to read familiar patterns at the symbolic association and composite synthesis levels of discrimination learning. In other words, they are not able to sight read because they cannot read. In fact, there is no such thing as sight reading because students can either read or cannot read, familiarity or unfamiliarity with patterns notwithstanding. Deficiency in sight reading is really lack of audiation skill, not necessarily a deficit in instrumental skill. If students cannot read with fluency, even though they are able to define notes, they are not reading musically because they do not audiate what notes represent. He goes on. <laughs> Notation as represented on a staff does not necessarily look or move in the same direction fingers or hand positions move on an instrument, nor does it look the way music sounds when one is playing. For example, a student's fingers may be moving down on an instrument as notation is moving up on the staff. And often longer notes take up less space on the staff than do groupings of shorter ones. Because notation, fingering, and audiation are not always logically related, students become confused when they are rushed into reading before audiation is solidified. This quote reminds me of something that Marilyn actually said a few years ago on the Facebook page that I always saved. Someone asked why we delay reading. And Marilyn's response was, we don't delay reading. We optimize learning. And I feel like it sums up exactly what Gordon said in this I quote. And I always that. refer to that. We don't delay. We don't delay it. We optimize 
That Oh, man, I have not heard her say that. I love that. <laughs> it's because it was a few years ago. It might have been like three or four years ago on the Facebook page. And I, re- I read it and I was like, saved. And I saved it. Much like the three-step process I described for reading rhythm patterns before getting into writing them, there are preparatory steps for tonal patterns too. We use the five-finger staff to represent the five lines of a music staff. Start by designating a resting tone finger, do in major tonality or la in minor tonality. And then as you sing the patterns for the student to echo, you point to the corresponding finger. So for example, if I hold my thumb at the bottom as music staff line one, and that bottom line, my thumb, represents do, and then I sing do, mi, so, I will be pointing to my thumb, pointer, and middle finger. And the spaces in between represent the spaces on the staff, possibly re and t. And we also have students echo patterns while they look at the notation, just like they did for rhythm patterns. They will do this in familiar order and unfamiliar order when ready. Most of my students take far longer learning to read tonal patterns than rhythm patterns because it's harder. It just is. I like to ease students into reading the tonal patterns independently by having them echo me with notation. And then when we come to a pattern that I'm pretty certain they can read on their own, I'll say, can you sing this one without me? Usually they can, but if they can't, I'll help them. They can usually get most of the tonic patterns on their own, and then I help with dominant patterns until they can do those on their own too. Those are some of the procedures we use when engaging students in reading activities. So now here is a quick overview of the reading and writing books and what's covered in each. In reading and writing music notation book one, rhythmically, students first learn to draw the note parts and music notes, and they write duple and triple, macrobeat, microbeat, and division patterns using in rhythmic notation. Tonally, they learn about the music staff, how to write intervals, seconds to octaves, and triads. Then they write tonic and dominant patterns in E-flat do and F do, and identify patterns in music examples in C do, A la, and B flat do. They also write harmonic minor tonic and dominant patterns in D la and E la, and identify patterns in musical examples in C la, A la, and G la. There are also other music projects, including music analysis and the final section, which synthesizes rhythm and tonal pattern writing in composition projects. Reading and Writing Music Notation Book 2 picks up rhythmically with division elongation patterns, rest patterns, and tie patterns in duple and triple meters. Students learn their music symbols and signs like accidentals and dynamic levels, as well as ledger lines and stem placement. Tonally, students continue with intervals, learning the difference between sound intervals and staff intervals, triads and their inversions. They write tonic, subdominant, and dominant tonal patterns in E-flat do and D do, as well as identify patterns from musical examples in F do, a do and G do. They also add subdominant patterns in D la and E la and identify patterns in musical examples in D la, E la, and G la. 
There are audiation and reading preparation analysis activities and more composition projects at the end of book two. And the reason I'm telling you about all these different keys is to make the broader point that this method is a multi-key approach, which I love. And finally, reading and writing music notation book three. Rhythmically, students read, write, and identify upbeat patterns in duple and triple meters, and they begin reading and writing in unusual meter, fives and sevens. And they even get to divisions of divisions, which I don't think we've mentioned on this podcast yet. Divisions of divisions are so fun. I'll give you some examples. Here's one in duple meter. Do a lay a day a lay a do day do do a lay a day a lay do a lay a do. And I'm not as good in triple meter, but here's a very simple one in triple meter. Do da dee do da dee do a lay a da lay a do lay a do da dee. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> and tonally, students read, write, identify patterns, and compose in Dorian, Mixolydian, Lydian, Phrygian, Aeolian, and Locrian. I know we've said this before, but just imagine if, as a high school senior who wants to be a music major, you just finished up a lifetime of audiation-based music learning, and you've made it through the entire music moves for piano series, and you go into music school knowing how to do all of these things Hannah has talked about, and all the things that we've talked about in this series, really, it's quite incredible. Quite incredible. I try to imagine myself having all of this knowledge as an incoming freshman. <laughs> I would have been unstoppable. <laughs> But really, okay, so we could talk about reading and writing all day, and we probably will have future podcast episodes that cover more about reading and writing, but we should probably start wrapping this episode up. So I'm going to end with one more Gordon quote, also from Learning Sequences in Music. This one's from page eight from the chapter on audiation. Quote, to audiate notationally, one transcends print and audiates what music symbols represent. Notation is a window one sees through. Audiation is on the other side. A musician who audiates brings musical meaning to notation. A musician who cannot audiate can only take theoretical meaning from notation. For example, if instrumentalists cannot transpose without aid of notation or knowledge of music theory, they are playing by notes and lacking in audiation competence. Music notation is a collection of visual symbols, and yet at best, notation works like still photography, whereas music flows like a motion picture. Audiation is understanding the flow of music. Whether or not one understands notation or music theory, there is value in audiating flow of music, and jazz and folk artists demonstrate that every day. Value of understanding notation and music theory without audiating, however, is questionable. Nevertheless, there are students in music classes who were taught that ritually. In fact, it may be reasonable to define common practice music theory as ignorance of audiation glorified and reduced 
to a system. Notation and music theory are often taught to students as substitutes for audiation. Some teachers never think about audiation, and those who do may not know how to teach it. Others know it is easier to teach notation and music theory than to teach students how to develop their audiation. Likewise, it is easier to teach students parts of speech than to teach them how to think. I'm not even sure what to say after a Gordon quote like that, Hannah. Um, no. And I'm so glad you included so many Gordon quotes today because I, I, I think it's really important for the listeners to understand the importance of dedicating this time to developing audiation in our students so that they can read music and write music with this understanding that years ago, I don't even think I thought was possible to be able to do to be able to look at notation. And what did he say in that quote? He said, to audiate notationally, one transcends print and audiate what music symbols represent. That's just, it's so powerful and it's so amazing. And I'm so thankful that I have music learning theory and that I have music moves for piano to be able to lead my students to be able to do this. I mean... So remember those questions I asked at the beginning of the episode? I want to mm-hmm. leave I want to leave you with one final question. And what's that? Are you transcending the print? <laughs> Are your students on their way to transcending the print even if they're not there yet? Ask let's ponder that this week. Yeah. Let's. I'm so glad that I can say that my students are on their way to transcending the print. Anyways. <laughs> I just, well, I don't know. I just got really like uh, chilly, like well, all chills. And I, where do we go? Where do we go from here? I've got feels <laughs> and now I don't know how to end the episode. <laughs> I know. Well, I guess we can end the episode with um with a call to action for our listeners. If they haven't if they haven't seen what Music Learning Academy has to offer for this coming 2021-2022 year, I encourage everybody to take a look at musiclearningacademy.com. We have study groups including what we mentioned before, the Pattern Skills and Sequence study group that Hannah um, and I will be leading. We're really excited about that. Hannah and I will also be leading Book Club, which we take Gordon's works and we read them together and we discuss them. And I think that's one of the most important things um, that Music Learning Academy offers is just going straight to the source. This past book club, I learned so much. I loved it. Loved it. I'm so looking forward to, we've got three books coming up. Oh, it's so exciting. It is. And we also have webinars. Um, We're going to be offering one a month. Hannah's going to be doing an amazing sequence of webinars. I think we, what do you have? Five in your series, right? Five. Yes. Five. Yes. With the scope and sequence of Music Moves for Piano books one through five. So if you enjoyed this series on the podcast where we took those sections of books one through five and we talked about them, 
you are going to love and learn so much from Hannah's series where she really dives into all of those sections um, with lots of information and lots of video clips. And trust me, I am diving. (laughs) (laughs) She's already started the preparation. I am researching (laughs) my behind off. (laughs) (laughs) So we really hope to see you at some of these events. Um, And we are wrapping up this formal instruction series on the podcast. I think we have one more episode coming to you before we take a little break and enter season two of Keys to Music Learning. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you soon.